Greetings. Before we begin the episode, we wanted to let you know that there will be a link to a playlist that contains all of the songs that we mentioned in the episode, plus a few extras for you. And we wanted to let you know now because we forgot to mention it while recording the episode earlier. Thanks again for listening and enjoy. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, Brothers in Song. And today we say a special hello to our listeners in Brazil. Why Brazil, you may ask, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, most of our listeners are in the United States, and second place is Brazil, 6% of our listeners according to our highly sophisticated podcast analytics. <laughs> you could have given me a hundred guesses. I don't think I would have guessed Brazil, but welcome, welcome to our Brazilian friends. And uh, are you? Sure, sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, as you know, I recently had a birthday. Uh, earlier this month, as of this recording, mm-hmm. I'm 40 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess the only other thing I'd like to say to our listen listeners is, uh, as a present to me, please share mm-hmm. our podcast to your social media. We'd love to expand our audience, and we assume you like the show also, so leave us a nice review on your favorite podcast platform. It helps us out. Absolutely. Absolutely. How are you doing, Joe? Uh, pretty well. Uh, had, you know, today's today's Wednesday. I've already had two meetings for work outside, you know, coffee meetings. So that's good. I think that's that's a good sign that we're in a good place. Uh, but yeah, overall, pretty good. Happy to, happy to dive into this tonight because this was a this is a special episode. I think. Uh, yeah. So this is one of our special episodes. Uh, you know, most episodes we look at a particular album and today we're we're looking at a the topic of guitar heroes and what does that all mean mm-hmm. um so i'd like to you know start off by having you uh, answer that question joe what what do you think a guitar hero is and is it a useful term sure sure no i i think it's a great term and i the way that I think about it really could be applied to any number of folks who play in a virtuosic way, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, there's kind of four main components of a guitar hero and, oh, okay. and how they play. You got to have power, right? But it's also good if you have some agility. Mm-hmm. I also think you really need to be creative because nobody wants to hear a robot play, right? Sure, right. And the last and probably most important characteristic that I look for in Guitar Heroes is you just got to have the confidence, right? Yes, yeah. It's kind of one of those things, you know it when you see it, because it's so uh, captivating that you like are just mesmerized by the way these, some of these people play. And we're going to talk about a, a few of them tonight. And 
What's interesting, you know, I think about the confidence piece because uh, this little anecdote hopefully will illustrate it for our listeners. When I was in high school, I went away to Wesleyan for like this music enrichment program when we stayed there and it's, you know, a bunch of teenagers from all over the country and you know, you you could just imagine the the types of folks that would go to an arts camp at Wesleyan, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they had a really great jazz program and a lot of other, uh, you know, arts programs, visual art, performing art, etc. Um, and as one does at these things, you know, we're all hanging out, you know, at night, and somebody breaks out a guitar, and you know, oh yeah. There there's this one guy who's just a phenomenal uh, jazz guitarist and could do all these different things. And, and uh, you know, he's a really talented guy. And I was like, how do you even, how do you <laughs> yeah. even do that? You know, cause like he'd be, you know, doing like two, three minute improv, uh, you know, improvisation solos and it was just fantastic. And then you had this other guy who wasn't even there for guitar playing i think he was in like the music theater program but he could play a little guitar and but he was not a great player but and by his own definition you know but he would you know just pull the thing out and he would captivate everybody because you just had that confidence had that swagger and it's funny because <laughs> you know you go there, you're, you're, you know, discovering yourself you're, and you're, uh, and he was already like so confident and it came through in his playing and he was playing like redemption song, which is like three chords, four chords. And, <laughs> you know, people were like, yeah, play it again, man. And, uh, <laughs> so like he wasn't a guitar hero by any stretch of the imagination. And obviously he's, you know, 15, 16 years old, whatever. Um, but, uh, that confidence piece is, is I think, so critical. Uh, so I wonder where those two guys are today. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I didn't stay in touch with them. But, but that was, you know, that's what I think of when I think of a guitar hero. And, you know, that experience was my first time where I really saw somebody up close and personal, like, really know how to play the guitar. What right. about you? Do you does, that, does that definition kind of fit what you had in your mind or do you have other things that maybe I I forgot I think you hit on all of the most important elements uh, I would add one more element to it and that is just um I feel like it it has to be someone who's who's almost a household name mhm mm uh and you know, fairly or unfairly, you know, as we all know, there are very, very talented people out there who don't get the notoriety that, that they deserve. Um, but I think, you know, part of being a guitar hero, like you said, is that confidence, that personality that mm -hmm. make people beyond, you know, the music nerds know who you are. Sure. So, so people like that, who come to mind are, are people like, you know, Jimi Hendrix or mm -hmm. Eric Clapton, uh, Jimmy Page, people like that. Um, for sure. But as kind of the premise for this show, because those folks basically have been 
talked about for forever and ever. Like it's it's sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not going to be difficult to find a podcast or a YouTube video or something, uh, a, a documentary on your favorite streaming service about these mm-hmm. people. So, as I like to do, I like to subvert expectations a little bit. So mm-hmm. when I you know thought of this idea as a premise for an episode. I was like, huh, let me let me think of a few people who just who who I just really like their their playing. And I think they have like some interesting qualities that are worth talking about. Uh, sure. So that's how yeah, I yeah. came up with yeah. my little list that we're going to uh, go down today. Um, I asked you to, you know, to listen to uh, a song each um, by each of the the people that I assigned to you for homework. And mm-hmm. um, as you can imagine, that was really difficult to do to kind of narrow it down into a you know workable number of well, first of all, to narrow it down to like who are we going to talk about, and then also narrow it down to like uh, oh, let me pick one song yeah, that's yeah, yeah. kind of like emblematic of what they do. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and I had a lot of people come to mind. Um, I thought of Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave for his, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the effects he uses and and uh, in Rage Against the Machine, especially using a lot of scratching and like other uh, equipment on the guitar to kind of add hip hop elements to their music. Mm-hmm. Um I thought of Prince because of yeah. his charisma and virtuosity. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I highly recommend anyone who is somehow not familiar with Prince as a phenomenal guitar player to either look at the Super Bowl halftime show he did or yeah. the um, a few years ago probably more than a few years ago when George Harrison was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame. There were a whole bunch of guys uh, up on stage playing my guitar gently weeps. Prince did the guitar solo mm-hmm. and he freaking killed it. He literally, he walked on stage. He did mm-hmm. the guitar solo, blew the doors off the place. Then walked off stage before the song was over like pimp walked off stage (laughs) so watch that um i also thought of including the edge from u2 for like again just kind of like the atmosphere he creates with the with the the reverb um in in a lot of the u2 songs especially the earlier stuff um but then i was like we need to save that for a u2 episode perhaps um yeah we've been kind of circling the drain on that one for a while <laughs> yeah a we'll bit. get to it someday <laughs> yeah um so uh we're, we're gonna get right into you know talking about some of these people we're gonna start off with a couple of uh more conventional but perhaps less celebrated in the mainstream guitar players sure. and uh you know get into some more of my uh, personal taste, and I got a little curveball at the end for everyone. <laughs> so our first 
guitarist we're going to talk about is the late great Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. If anyone doesn't know who that is, um, I mean, basically, he was a straight up blues guitarist who rose to prominence in the 80s. And yeah. what's interesting about his career is that by doing this like traditional blues music, he was going totally against the grain uh, for the 80s um, mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, because there, there was a lot of um, uh, synth stuff going on. That was a big thing in, in 80s music innovation. And like production was starting to get really slick and like strip out the personality of a lot of music and you know he was just doing his thing and i don't think there was much of a marketing hook behind it he was just this is me and you know people gravitated toward that um toward him you know just being his his genuine self Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and being a kick-ass guitar player sure Um, sure so for so for Stevie Ray Vaughan, I asked you to listen to the title track from the 1984 album "Couldn't Stand the Weather," but I had you listen to a live version because, unfortunately, I don't think uh, Stevie Ray escaped uh, kind of his sound being blunted by 80s production techniques. So uh, he's really best listened to uh, in a live performance. So uh, anyway, uh, what'd you think of, of that track? Yeah, so for, first and foremost, I, I did really appreciate this eclectic list that we're going to go through uh, because I was familiar with a lot of the groups, but hadn't really listened to the guitar playing closely. So, so I it was definitely uh, a lot of new new things for me, which is great. Um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, as many things, you introduced me to him. You know, <laughs> with with it, it could have been this this album, but uh, it was definitely, you know, around that time where he was kind of coming, uh, you know, becoming a little bit more popular. Um, and I think, like, yeah, Kick-Ass Guitar Player has all of the attributes that we just mentioned as a guitar hero, I think, and he can put them together. And, and I think what's really the most appealing thing about it is his creativity when he just, you know goes out and does and and rips those solos and kind of goes in 8 million different direction and then lands the plane. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's always like the most impressive part about his playing. But then, you know, just coming up with some of those licks, you know, I don't know how hard that is because I'm not a guitar player, but they fit so well together and um, it just adds so much to the overall sound of the group. Um, So this one was just a lot of fun to look. And you're absolutely right. Like, I would probably say for all of Steve Ray Vaughan's music, like, just just go find a live, a live video from YouTube of him playing. Like, don't even bother with the studio stuff. Like, it's, it's fine, but the live stuff is better. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And you know, and and, and this song is one that I chose because Stevie Ray wrote it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, he, as you do in blues and jazz, he did record a lot of, uh, you know, songs written by other artists, you know, from decades past and, and stuff like that. But he wrote this one, just the intro to this is so cool. Yeah. Is it plays that riff and then 
there's there are these weirdly timed pauses in between the riffs and i you know and i would like try to count it out but they're like coming in on the you know they're coming in on the upbeat of like two from the next measure or something it's yeah. something like that and um but it's got this really cool uh, uh feel to it and and then when you get into the main part of the song he gets kind of funky with it yeah. and it's um i just love how he's just so full of music that it feels like he's playing lead and rhythm at the same time mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah, um, yeah yeah it does it does uh and and you know with those with those uh riffs coming in like on the offbeat like you can see it when you watch them play like and this is what a good group does like they all have their internal metronomes but like for stuff like that they're just watching him and going off of his lead right and he's probably like more than like, i'm sure they've written it out and everything but he's probably just more like feeling the mood like i'm gonna take a little extra half beat here before i go into this next little section you know and mm-hmm. That's I, I always like that because it keeps the listener on their toes and it's a little bit unconventional. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and just what I always loved about him as well is that, you know, this is not something that you can like prove or whatever, but to me, it just feels like the guitar is just like part of him. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Um, and that he's just and because he's singing as well it just mm-hmm. feels like the whole song is just a part of him and he's mm-hmm. a good singer i mean yeah, yeah, I, yeah i think he's a limited singer but mm-hmm. i've listened to a lot of live Steve, stevie ray Vaughan, and that guy has never sung flat or missed yeah, anything in his life yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um and, and so to play the way he does and then just hold it down as a lead singer i think is pretty unusual talent yeah yeah i think that's you know a lot of the guys you mentioned well some of the guys you mentioned in the intro and like other folks that we've talked about whether it's like eddie van halen or richie sambor or some people like that like they had some help on the vocal front which is totally cool and right absolutely. to have stevie ray vaughn like carrying the whole thing that's pretty impressive Okay, so that is Stevie Ray Vaughan. And the next guitar player we're going to talk about is David Gilmore from a little band called Pink Floyd. <laughs> uh, David Gilmore, you know, he, he played lead guitar in Pink Floyd, among other things. Uh, he shared mm-hmm. lead, lead vocal duties as well um you know wrote wrote the songs uh also along with other members um and for this one i was just i i was i was like i want to talk about david gilmore but i don't know the entirety of pink floyd's massive catalog and Mm -hmm. i was like do i want to pick one that's not as well known and i was just like nope we're going for the low-hanging fruit yeah, uh, <laughs> that's fine. We get a little adventurous with some of your other choices. So, so oh, I for, think that's 
absolutely acceptable. Yeah, yeah. So so we're going to talk about Comfortably Numb from the 79 album, uh, The Wall. Uh, doesn't get any more classic than that. And uh, Joe, I'm assuming you've heard that one at some point before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely many times. Hard to miss. Um, but revisiting it, you know, it's it's a great it's a great song, but then you get, you know, that massive guitar solo, you know, and (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, um, you know, this, I think it has that powerful rock element to it. Yeah. So he, he explores a lot of different places in those guitar solos, uh, which really speaks to his creativity as a musician and as a player and yeah, you know, we may have touched on this in other uh, when, when talking about other other folks and and their solo playing, because I I think, and this is just my hypothesis, some solos are improvised. I think this one was pretty well crafted before they put it down because I don't think anything on the wall is unintentional, you know. Right. Um, so. In that sense, in that sense, you lose a little bit of the spontaneity, but he plays it so well because he knows it so well. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I really loved revisiting this, and you know, it's like we're not going to do a wall album, uh, a wall episode, because I think everybody knows it pretty well. But it's just like just a magnificent opus, and I should just. When I'm in the right mood, I should listen to it a little bit more because this reminds me of like, oh yeah, I used to we used to listen to this all the time, and I haven't listened to it in probably 15 years. So, um, yeah. what, what I mean, obviously, you knew who David Gilmore was before this, and you know, what what draws you to him um, as a player? Well, what I like about him is kind of the the emotional quality of the mm-hmm. solos, and I think that you know other players of the of that era, you know, such as the aforementioned Jimmy Page or Eric Clapton, like they definitely have a tendency to, you know, to to play a bit faster, to be a little mm-hmm. bit more showy mm-hmm. with it. But at least to my ear, they don't have the same kind of like emotional depth. And I think yeah. the way that yeah. he plays, the phrasing of the solos, the bends and sustained notes that he's famous for mm-hmm. are evocative of a person singing. So yeah. I think yeah, that's yeah. the that's the main draw for me. And uh, you, you know, and I think you're totally right about the planning of these solos. Um, you know, I was reading about you know uh, the way they were putting the wall together, and um, you know, David Gilmore had intended uh, like his contribution to this song. Uh, to be a part of a, a solo project, but then eventually it kind of all got, um, y- you know, put together into Comfortably Numb. And I-, I love how you have two solos in the song, and the first one that feels kind of like exultant, and mm-hmm. then the second one feels like it's feels like total despair. Right, right, um, right. And the contrast of the two is great, and I think that's, you know why the why the song has um you know just persisted mm-hmm. in in kind of the the popular collective consciousness yeah um 
and uh, I and I read one last thing from me on David Gilmour. Anyway, is uh, I read this quote by him, which I think is pretty great, which is uh, my fingers make a distinctive sound. They aren't very fast, but I think that I am instantly recognizable. Mm. And and uh, I think that's what you want to be as an artist, you know. Right, right. And, you and walk in, and you in see it and way. say, or you hear somebody and you say, yep, I know who that is, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so these are two that I kind of figured you would really like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and now we're going to kind of go down the road into a little bit more, uh, I, I wouldn't call it obscure, but maybe lesser well-known stuff. Uh, and the next guitarist I assigned to you was Dean DeLeo from uh, Stone Temple Pilots, one of the biggest rock bands of the 90s, um, mm-hmm. starting very closely associated with grunge, but I think that they evolved into having their own sound and uh, their second album, Purple, um, mm-hmm. which uh, the song we're going to talk about, uh, that's what that's the album that it's from. Um, as the years have gone by, I've actually, you know, grown to appreciate it even more. Um, mm-hmm. And so the song that I gave you here was the opening track of the album, which is called Meat Plow, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a killer opener. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, w- yeah. what's your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I I liked it and it definitely has those sonorities that you associate with the time and age when this was all created. Um, you know, Dean DeLillo, it's, it's interesting because I think he was obviously influenced by a lot of the guitar heroes of the eighties. And I think that through that sort of upbringing, for lack of a better phrase, he's embraced some of the technology that was evolving during that period and incorporating it into his own sound. Um, so in that sense, I thought it was pretty interesting, some of the effects that he put in into his playing on this on this track. Um, and the last thing I'll say about this is that I think that not the two people on this podcast, but I think a lot of people sort of dismiss the music the musicianship of a lot of these bands of the early 90s and Mm -hmm. this is a good example of the quality that was really put into uh, uh, the quality of the players that were that were creating this type of music one of the most interesting things to me about stone temple pilots you know now that i'm a little older and kind of understand music a little better Mm -hmm. is a lot of their distinctive sound comes from these like weird weird chords like Mm -hmm. they never seem to choose like a straight ahead chord voicing yeah Um, yeah. and they're always throwing in like a seventh or some other kind of razzmatazz in there (laughs) um uh and that's because uh robert DeLeo, who's Mm -hmm. dean's brother and who played bass in the band was really into jazz Mm -hmm. so and and the two of them were principally writing the music Mm-hmm. And I and there's and like the last two chords of the song are a perfect example of yeah, that. Yeah, 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 
yeah. is like there's there's like a weird kind of jazzy dissonance to those chords. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just like a super tight '90s rock song, you know, with three sections. But the three sections are actually pretty distinctive, and I don't know how they got it all to work together. But it's like in the beginning, you get roped in by that just chunky mm-hmm. riff that's like that's just like candy to my ears yeah, yeah, yeah um and then like kind of that pre-chorus section where you get some of those weirder mm-hmm. chords and then the i guess ostensibly the chorus if you listen he's playing slide guitar in there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um he actually employed that quite a bit on this album uh in in a handful of the songs um and so there's just all these different textures happening that they make all work together really well in like a three and a half minute you know 345 song there's a lot of stuff in there for a short song um yeah yeah for sure for sure and and i wonder how much of that was was there at the onset with their composition and because i do think like the guitar and the bass parts really are interwoven very well in this entire song and how much of it happened like as they were kind of building it in the studio um it's hard to say uh but yeah i mean i i think overall this is this is this is a cool song uh and again it's just right this is right up your alley Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, it's your choice. So what do we got next? So what we got next, Joe, I appreciate you for coming on this little ride with me, is uh, (laughs) we have have Adam Jones from the band Tool. And Mm -hmm. for this, I I asked you to listen to a nine and a half minute song. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tool, for those who don't know, haven't heard of them or don't know what their music is about i mean they're kind of known for these long songs that where they're often exploring you know an exhaustive amount of variations on a mo- on a motif or, or a main riff um mm-hmm. they're often using odd time signatures there's a lot of dynamic variation um lyrically they can range from like completely nihilistic to doing like talking about transcendental meditation and spiritual stuff. And um, mm-hmm. uh, this song definitely leans more to the philosophical side of things. And it's the title track from their 2001 release, Lateralis. Mm-hmm. So this one, I really wanted to hear your opinions on, Joe. I could kind of predict maybe what you thought of the other ones, but I'd really like well, to know uh, what you thought of this. Yeah, so... I liked it. It's kind of a cool thing. And and, and I, I totally get like, you know, speaking of textures, like they create like this huge wall and texture of sound, which I, I think is pretty cool. Um, but I'm glad you, you gave the listeners and me a little bit of a background on Tool because I don't know them very well at all. But what I do know of them is usually as I'm listening to them, I'm like, this is like 20% too much. and a kind of some of it can hold my interest this one i think 
I give it, it was like a six minute song. I think it, it would be more up my alley, but it being so, it being like, you know, another three more minutes of, again, exploring kind of similar ideas from a different perspective uh, is a little bit much for me. So I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I did like it. I just thought it was a little bit much. And, um, you know, the guitar playing on this one by Adam Jones, it, I think, of those, of the ones that we've listened to for, for this episode, really just has, like, this raw, powerful sound in his playing. And uh, I can appreciate that. I, I love big, big old sounds. Um, I should have, and I didn't, because I'd be curious to see what his presence is like. Because I, I know people that, like, are, like, uh, obsessed with Tool. Like, we'll go see them play anywhere, anytime, doesn't matter. Yeah. I will be there if Tool is even 500, like, within 500 miles of where I am, you know? And, I mean, can can you educate me a little bit on that? Like, what is his like performance style oh stand there and play yeah yeah that's okay it. yeah um yeah. Uh, kind of in the in the earlier days of of tool um you know, maynard james keenan the the lead singer he was like he he was wild like he was just where like w- like a weird like onesie long underwear jumpsuit or something or <clears throat> like just mm-hmm have his shirt off and just be throwing himself all around the stage. And then like, I think starting with this album, even he like took a step back. So now their stage setup is like drums in the middle, Adam Jones on the left, uh, uh, Justin Chancellor who plays bass uh, uh, to the right of the audience. And Maynard is up on a platform to the left of the drums, like kind of in the dark. <laughs> okay. um, so like they, they're just like, yeah, we're just going to stand up here and play like mm-hmm. unpretentious. Danny Carey, the drummer is probably wearing like a Larry Bird jersey. Sure. Uh, sure. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and enlighten me so what was your what was your thinking behind picking this particular example of adam jones playing well because you know like you were saying with with all of the different different textures and different tones that he has in the guitar like to me adam jones is like he's like a painter of Mm -hmm. guitar players and i felt like this song contained a lot of kind of his signature um, signature things that he does uh, mm-hmm. on the guitar. Um, and I think it's I think it's dynamically it's interesting. Perhaps later on we can uh, have a drink and, and nerd out about how the time signature and the lyrics and everything are all based around the Fibonacci sequence. Um, <laughs> but but um uh, I just like how, you know, at times the, the sound is really massive. At other times it feels really intimate. And when mm-hmm. he solos, he's not really like 
soloing in a traditional sense as much as yeah, he's trying to absolutely. like tap tap into the right sound that's going to be most powerful in that moment. And of course, he's got you know a zillion pedals to to make the different tones that he's looking for, but also just within the playing itself uh, that you could do on any guitar. He he does things like um, uh, you know he he's clean picking. He's he's palm muting, which is kind mm -hmm. of when you're if you're right handed and and strumming the guitar with your right hand, you're resting kind of like the edge of your palm. On the base of the, the strings, and that's where you kind of get like, where you can get that kind of chugging sound because the because the notes don't ring out. Right, right. right. It's, and then it's like semi muted just with your palm, right? Right, right. Mm hmm. And then to me, like the end, the end of the song when he's getting like those those kind of like squealing mm -hmm. sounds out in in that riff that that have like those uh, those harmonics happening. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that's just to you borrow one of your words. To me, that's just like sublime. It's like yeah, yes, yeah. this is like coming to a, a crescendo, um, mm -hmm. and that comes from a technique that I really can't. Yeah, and like but, you can only have that with the right sound setup and the right guitar. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, still, the technique is probably not easy to learn. <laughs> it, yeah, because it's just such a feel. It's such a feel thing. It's and it's, a, it's such a like fine motor skill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, but that's my opinion on on Adam Jones. And you know, I was like, oh. I want I, I want to give him this 15 minute long thing, but <laughs> I love my brother too much. So let me, <laughs> let me give him this other thing. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it's it, funny it was, how it was cool. Yeah, it's funny how we ended up how like you ended up appreciating exactly the things that, you know, I picked it for without sure. any previous discussion. No, no, no. Um, Very cool. So next on tap and the final guitarist that we're going to talk about. This is my curveball. Mm. Is the artist Ani DeFranco, mm -hmm. um, and Ani DeFranco, I think, has been lost a little bit in the history of '90s music. I mean, she was kind of an underground artist anyway. But mm -hmm. um, just to give a quick background on her, because I imagine a lot of people don't know who she is. Um, she's this self-made alternative folk singer. Uh, she actually created her own record label in 1990 at the age of 20 because mm -hmm. she couldn't get signed. <laughs> right, right. Um, and uh, probably it's because, you know, her songs contain a lot of political content, a lot of social commentary. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, her playing is completely different from the guitar players that we've just discussed. Um, her playing is more to be a, a backdrop for her lyrics and the message of her song. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, I'm realizing now that I chose a bunch of title tracks completely <laughs> inadvertently, but <laughs> we've got another one. It's the title track from uh, Ani DeFranco's 1994 album, Out of Range. So uh, what is your opinion, Joseph? So... Maybe it's just because you're in my life because I know who Ani DeFranco is and I, you know, she's, you know, I've I've paid attention to her career to a certain extent, and 
I love the description of like an alternative folk singer because like that's totally the vibe that you get from her. And I didn't realize she could play like this, frankly. Like, I, I, I don't recall ever thinking, wow, she's a phenomenal guitar player as, as well as being like a tremendous songwriter and yeah. an artist. And this really showcases, you know, and, and, and it's actually, it's interesting because this is the one acoustic piece that you selected. Mm-hmm. And what I like about that is that you can really hear every single note where with some of these, you know, like with Tool, for example, one, there's like a lot of other stuff going on in the context of the song. And there's a lot of like, there's some manipulation and electronic elements. It's hard to pinpoint, especially as a non-guitar player, like exactly what's happening with the guitar playing. But this one, you hear everything and you hear every note and it's crisp and it's clean and it services the song very well. Um, and I I just, I thought it was great. I didn't realize she could play like that. And and the agility to, to, to do all that was really impressive. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's, she's just playing so damn fast mm-hmm. and like picking really fast. It's almost like, it's almost like uh, when you hear bluegrass players yeah. play how, yeah. and how fast they are. Yeah. Um, and um, to me, it's like she's she's a punk rocker playing folk. Mm. And yeah. yeah, the and we talk a lot about production on on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And even though they hardly do anything. Maybe they do absolutely nothing other than like adjust some levels. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a production choice too. Sure. And I just love the production on this particular track um, because I couldn't confirm it. I-, I couldn't find anything on the internet about it. But it, this sounds like one take in the studio with Ani DeFranco and her guitar. Yeah. yeah. And if you listen to this on headphones, you can hear all of like all the times her hand like inadvertently kind of bumps bumps into the guitar mm-hmm. um and if you're i'm not trying to be condescending here but if you have a musical ear and you listen to it closely you realize that like certain sections that are repeated are not exactly the same each time right um and uh it it, it gives it like it gives it an organic feel and a personal feel to it and um you know, and I like how she ends the song where she's just like hitting the strings so hard that they actually like the notes kind of like buzz and go out, go slightly out of tune. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Uh, uh, even though I had listened to this like. A, a million times, like in college or whatever, it's like mm-hmm. c- coming back to that, it, it felt refreshing because it's like. Everything's so choreographed in the studio these days that you don't get all the little happy accidents in this recording. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally agree. Hey, have you ever seen her play live? I have seen her twice. Yeah. Because I imagine just because of who she is and the message she's trying to give, she probably does have quite a presence. Oh, yes. Yes. In that aspect, 
of a Guitar Hero. Like, whereas Adam Jones kind of has all of the, uh, you know, all of the, all of the fireworks that an electric guitar mm-hmm. player in a, in a rock band has. Uh, he has none of the presence of a Guitar Hero. <laughs> whereas Ani right, DeFranco, right. like, has all the stage presence in the world. And and quite honestly, like, I mean, I can't play like her, but I feel like actually of all these people on the list, she's the most influential on me because no matter what she's doing, like, there's always this, like, intensity bubbling under the surface, like, even in the ballads because she has such yeah, a yeah. percussive style. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something I always appreciated and tried to do myself to the best of my ability sure sure of course of course yeah yeah she's pretty great her discography is ridiculous she has so much stuff that makes me think hey maybe we should maybe we should do one of her albums uh yeah yeah at some point absolutely yeah um but uh that's it that's all of our our five guitar heroes some conventional some not Mm -hmm. we hope you learned something today, kids. Um, <laughs> Joe, Joe, do you have any final thoughts on this on this topic or any of these folks that we've discussed here today? No, I, I thought it was it was fun and it was a cool collection of artists and a lot of different styles and and talents and um, it was a fun one. I liked it. What about you? Oh yeah, I mean this. This is really fun for me. I love giving homework. Like, yeah, oh man, sure. you've got to listen to this. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, so it was definitely fun for me. Uh, and for our next episode, uh, you get to My assign the homework. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, what, are, uh, what are we going to be talking about? Yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, my birthday's coming around the corner. So I was like, let's go back to my birth year or close to it at least. And so we're going to listen to the 1982 album by Toto 4. It's because it's won the 1983 Grammy, I think. That's why I, I ah. chose it. Uh, so, uh, so there's some things on there that I know, but I know that there's stuff on there that I don't know. So I hope that that's a fun one for us to listen to together. Yeah, I mean, I know next to nothing. Mm-hmm. I know Rosanna. I'm assuming this is the album with Rosanna on it. It is. And uh, Africa. Yeah. Oh, and Africa. Of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. How could I forget that? But let's not uh, let's not steal our own thunder. Um, we appreciate you listeners. Thanks for coming along with us on this little journey. And we will see you next time. Take care. Brothers in Song is written and produced by Joseph Collin and Daniel Collin, and edited by Daniel Collin. To keep up with the latest news, follow us on Instagram at Brothers in Song. Until next time, listen to some new music. You just may surprise yourself.